You're listening to the Ask Drone You podcast. You ask, we answer your drone questions. Whether you're here to turn your passion into profit or you simply fly for fun, we're a community of learners and teachers who aspire to achieve greatness. We are Drone You. Hey everyone, and welcome to another interesting episode of Ask Drone You. My name is Paul. And my name is Rob, and we have a visitor on set today. Anyways, thank you for joining us today. Super glad to be hanging out with you, and appreciate you spending a few minutes of your day with us, as always. It's uh, it's an amazing thing that we get to do this, and uh, know that there's at least a few of you out there. Definitely, and uh, today actually we do have a very interesting show, kind of talking about uh, something that has recently been one of our top posts on the blog regarding uh, what drones are essentially remote ID capable, but this time taking it a step further and talking about what drones can we fly over people. And uh, it was a very interesting question that came in. And I actually think that the answer is more of kind of an algorithm. Like if this happens, then that. If this happens, then that. So we're gonna go through those different uh, potential navigational pathways of what may affect the outcome of this as a whole. Uh, But either way, I think it's actually going to be an exciting one for all of you, especially as we all consider what's coming up in the years to come. So um, also, I'm going to mention, you know, Rob, do you remember on CNBC earlier this year that they did a news segment and they're like, now drone pilots can literally fly over people? And we were like, Whoa, CNBC, you read the press release wrong. That's in two years. Do you remember that? That whole selective reading thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do remember that. I've I've seen people on Reddit using this clip as the example of why it's okay to fly over people. And I'm seeing so many videos on Instagram of Cinewhoops, of, uh, you know, mini quads, uh, small little minis you know, flying in ways that uh, back in the day, drone pilots would have been like, oh no. But uh, I, and but people are loving them. People are loving the shots. And I think while it might get some, uh, some geriatrics up in arms, it also goes to show just how safe these drones are. Uh, because every time that we see, uh, you know, successful video footage and whenever we see uh, flights that... Uh, push the envelope, we further learn just really how safe these drones are. Now, I'm not trying to give an excuse for people who aren't following the rules. I'm just trying to look at it from uh, all perspectives, right? Of how bad is this really? Well, does this showcase any additional data or information to us, like how safe it is? Uh, Can we garnish data from this about uh, just how safe these flights really are? So for me, it's very interesting as a whole, Rob, and uh, I think this is gonna be a really good show. I agree. It's a subject that's not going anywhere for quite a while, and the discussion could probably go all, go all sorts of different ways. That is, that is definitely. Let's see how this one goes. For sure. Well, today's question is brought to you by DroneU's new educational platform is built to provide, well, training and an organized platform for you to run your drone team or program, manage your equipment, manage your pilots, and even manage the training for the pilots, give them specific training modules and courses sequentially built with scenario-based testing to showcase which of your pilots are truly proficient, not just current. 
Check out the Props program if you're interested in building up drone pilots that face a variety of environments and can solve problems dependent on environments. Or maybe you're looking for training up some mappers, or maybe you're trying to train up a team for solar inspections. We have Props programs to cover a wide gamut of drone services. Check it out today, props.thedroneu.com. Hi gang, Brian in Minnesota. Say, I am wondering, with all of this talk about operations over people and the categories one, two, three, and four, are there any confirmed category two or three compliant drones on the market right now that I could go out and buy, whether that would be to comply with the flights over people in the most recent revision of part 107 or to apply for a 10739 waiver, which is maybe a bigger can of worms. Thanks. Thank you, Brian. Appreciate the question. Uh, I think a lot of people are wondering that, particularly as they might be looking to buy a drone in the near future. And uh, it's getting close enough, theoretically, to remote ID rolling out that uh, it's probably something to at least be thinking about. But he's asking, are there any confirmed drones that are compliant, that we could know are compliant. I don't think that's possible yet, is it? Well, you know, that's a really interesting thing, Rob, because if you remember, we wrote a blog post a while ago mm -hmm. kind of talking about what drones were remote ID compliant. And the gist of the article was that, uh, you know, a lot of the DJI-based drones that are out there, that we expect them to essentially work within the remote ID protocol. And then we got a call from the FAA like, hey, can you clarify something that there is no remote ID protocol right now? And blah, 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 blah. And I was like, yeah, that's fine. I thought I made that clear that like, we don't really know what remote ID protocol will be for broadcast. And the, we expect these drones to work, but technically there's nothing to really worry about right now because it's you know kind of too soon. Mm -hmm. But we've learned some additional information I know uh, ASTM is working on a broadcast protocol, but I want to preface all of this remote ID talk with just a quick reminder. Um, and again, if you haven't listened to the show that we did with Jonathan Rupert and Race Day Quads, I really recommend that you check out that lengthy show. It's, it's definitely worth it. Uh, because that show is all about the remote ID lawsuit against the FAA. And when it comes to flying over people, one of the key caveats that's even listed on the FAA's website says uh, that in addition for Category 1 operations, no remote pilot in command may operate a small unmanned aircraft uh, in sustained flight over open air assemblies unless the operation is compliant with remote ID. So, you know, the first kind of potential if this, then that uh, algo that we have for operating these drones over people, it really is dependent on, again, a successful rollout of remote ID, which is being challenged in court. We are going to see some sort of outcome, I would say, by mid next year, if not spring of next year. And if remote ID, for whatever reason, gets uh, uh, legally or legislatively shut down, mm -hmm. then the flights over people thing would be pushed with it because all these categories have the caveat that you've got to fly compliant with remote ID. 
says it right there in the, the codification by the FAA. It sure does. But interestingly enough, you know, when we wrote that article regarding what drones are remote ID compliant, etc., DJI actually now has uh, a, a, an article. This was actually written back in April. Back in April, saying mm-hmm. that they expect uh, uh, complying with the remote ID guidelines with them will likely be as simple as updating your drone software with a free upgrade. So literally what we said in our article months, if not a year ago now, about most DJI drones will be remote ID compatible. High five, Rob. We were right. Once again. Well, yeah. <laughs> I don't care about being right. <laughs> um, I care about getting good information, which I guess means being right. <laughs> I was going to say, I was like, well, wait a minute. Like, I'm, I'm I know, help, I, in not, helping people, we've got to give good experience-based information. <laughs> we do. Yeah. We do. But it is interesting. I mean, the bottom line is that, so this is in, the article, of course, references the point that uh, new products are designed with remote ID functionality. Um, let's see, to perform remote ID will be September 22nd. So apparently that's a deadline. Is that included in this? According to this article, which was written by Mr. Shulman, by the way, um, there's a deadline of September of 2022, so just under a year that the new product's being designed, which would imply, correct me if I'm wrong, that those protocols would be known by then. Yes, um, yes. I and, believe- and, and, and let me just add really quick that they'd be known well before then, right? Because you've got design and manufacturing, et cetera, mm. et cetera, et cetera. So interesting. Yes, very interesting indeed. And I will say once again, if the remote ID challenge is successful, yeah, then this all doesn't matter because there won't be fight over people because of the remote ID thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the whole issue of what drones work with remote ID will, will go away. And so, you know, I've kind of, Rob, I've kind of talked to some legal experts about, okay, what do you really expect to come out of this lawsuit with the FAA? And kind of the, the, the main gist that I keep getting is that probably what's going to happen is that they are going to say, the FAA didn't follow the, the uh, regulatory guidelines of rolling out proposed regulation and that it's going to have to be rescinded, but expect the remote ID to go right back on the docket kind of thing. And so what it would do is just essentially cause a multi-year delay. So I've also heard some other lawyers who have said, well, it could, uh, you know, if the whole issue of navigable airspace is, is asked, answered, and interpreted you could see a federal judge come out and say, we might have to have follow-up questions based on this to say, well, what is the FAA truly controlling, you know? Yeah. Uh, which I'm not sure that that would, you know, I don't know how that would really affect the industry as a whole, Rob, you know, because one of the common arguments that we use as drone pilots against local regulators is like, hey, you guys don't own the airspace, you know, mm-hmm. the airspace uh, is controlled by the FAA, and a lot of people are like, well, I own the airspace over my house, right? They, they use the Cosby case. And I always say, well, 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 hold on. You may have rights to your airspace, but it is also public domain. Yeah. It's not mutually exclusive. And so that's something that people forget often is, yeah, you, you know, as a homeowner, you do have rights to the usable airspace. But you can't forget it's also public domain. <laughs> but so do I. Exactly. Right? Yeah. yeah. No, that's interesting. I don't know. Um, I... I don't mean to be pessimistic, but I wouldn't hold my breath as to something something changing with remote ID, frankly. Well, and I understand there's a you know there's some 
Very smart people that see some very solid reasons why it can't proceed as currently configured, but I'll believe it when I see it. I'll just put it that way. Yeah, and I think that's probably a good way to look at it. I mean, we got to also look at market conditions, right? And I mean, market conditions are uh, having companies like General Motors reduce overall sales by 33% in the last quarter due to a chip shortage. You know, we're seeing uh, drone manufacturers, uh, most recently Autel, launching brand new drones, the Nano, the Evo Lite and whatnot. And we've been trying to get our hands on one and we can't. And, uh, you know, it really makes you wonder. For me, when I'm looking at, okay, I want to flight over people, cat one, two or three, just expanding the question from the uh, from the asker. Mm -hmm. Um, For me, it's like, you know, that's two years down the line. I'm going to get a lot of flights out of my drones. Uh, before then, I'm not worried about remote ID until then. It might change, and because it might change, I am not going to make a prediction and then you know go off of that prediction. I'm essentially going to let things unravel, see what happens. I'm not going to uh, bite off my nose despite my face kind of sure. thing. You know what I mean? Yeah, you got to keep marching on. Yeah. But I understand in terms of asking the question, if there is something that... It behooves me to buy because of what's coming, then I'd like to know about it. But I just don't, I think that's what he's saying, right? Yeah. But I just don't think we're there. No, I don't think we're there either. And to kind of, you know, go further down the rabbit hole on his question as a whole, category one, essentially, what would it take to fly over people under category one? Well, long and the short of it is category one operations over people are permitted using uh, a drone that weighs 0.55 pounds or less including everything that is on board or otherwise attached to the aircraft at the time of takeoff and throughout the duration of each operation. In addition, does not contain any exposed rotating parts that could lacerate human skin on impact with a human being. So there's two points here, right? Because the the caller asked about CAT 2 and 3, which we're going to get to here in a second. But CAT 1, a lot of people have said, oh, the DJI Mini 2, the Mini SE, the DJI Mini, we can fly that over people. Can you, though? And I I mean, and I'm going to say one thing, and then I kind of have a question for DJI, but it says that the drone must be 0.55 pounds or less, including everything that is attached. Well, if we can't have exposed rotating parts that would lacerate human skin, adding the prop guards onto the Mini 2 would take it over the 0.55 pounds, and thus now you're in category two, right? And, and don't forget, the, the third part of each category is that you are remote ID compliant. So again, this all hinges on remote ID actually going through. Mm-hmm. Now that said, here's another question that I have for DJI, right? In the second note B, as in Bravo, under the category one operations, it says, does not contain any exposed rotating parts that would lacerate human skin. Now it's specific that the rotating parts would lacerate human skin. We know DJI has done an extensive amount of research on the type of plastic that is used in these propellers. Hmm. And we know since pretty much the Mavic 2 Pro that most of the propellers have been built so that when they do hit something, they shatter. Kind of like, you know, think of, uh, what's the name of that glass they put? In vehicles, uh, uh, that gosh. marbles, but it doesn't. Yeah, doesn't what is the name of that apart. stuff? Anyway, same kind of um, concept here. Tempered. Tempered glass. Thank mm-hmm. you. So you know, with these props, essentially, 
Uh, and they even have a, a notation on lacerate. I mean, literally, there's a lacerate rotation. And so listen to this. Here's the notation. As explained in the NPRM, the FAA's decision to ensure protection of skin from lacerating injuries is similar to the logic the National Highway Transportation Safety Administration employs see Federal Motor Vehicle Safety Standards glazing materials explained in NHTSA's decision to access whether advanced glazing are more likely to cause lacerations than current glass, stating, although facial laceration injuries, injuries are relatively minor, AIS 1 or 2, they can be disfiguring. So one question that I have to DJI is, DJI, do you have the... the the source, do you have the information, the research, the data on whether these uh, propellers actually lacerate skin? Because here's my point in, in going through all this. If it's proven that one, the props do not lacerate skin, and two, the FAA's very specific vernacular states rotating parts that lacerate the skin. Okay, well, if the props hmm. can't lacerate the skin, they're still rotating but do not meet the regulations stated in Category 1. Mm -hmm. So, again, if there's data saying that these props do not lacerate skin, then we don't need the prop guards, and then the Mini 2 would be Category 1 compliant. Wow, that's interesting. I'm going to have to look that up because it would be really great information it, if it's true it really would yeah it makes me also think about you know some of the table saws mm -hmm. um the bigger table saws that have the technology whereby like you've seen it tested with a hot dog have you seen that no and you put the hot so the idea is that it's like a finger you put a finger and and the blade automatically stops it's phenomenal really it's really cool yeah we should i don't know we'll check it out later but those table saws exist or those saw infrastructures exist so maybe <laughs> that's what this could do, right? Yeah, 100%. Table I mean, saws aren't that expensive. No, they sure aren't. So that technology can't be that sophisticated. And ladies and gentlemen, if you're wondering what Rob is doing on the weekend, it's watching hot dog videos. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, come join me. Yeah, I mean, time. hey, he's got a nice <laughs> living room, so... <laughs> Get a nice fire going. Uh, hey, glass of wine sounds good to me, Rob. <laughs> uh, but but that said, I mean, you you do bring up a very good point. If there is data out there that these do not lacerate the skin, then uh, then that brings up a really important question. You know, we've also heard rumors that a Mini Three is coming out, and then mm. it would be slightly, uh, uh, it would weigh slightly less. So that you could get the prop guards on there and it still be below that 0.55 pound threshold. Now, to answer the caller's very specific question, um, on category two, the, uh, well, how do I say it? The um, variables used to determining category two compliance. Category two uh, provides performance-based eligibility and operating requirements when conducting operations over people using unmanned aircraft that weigh more than 0.55 pounds but do not have an airworthiness certificate under Part 21. To be eligible for CAT-2 ops, a drone must comply with the following three safety requirements. First, the drone must be designed, produced, and modified such that it will not cause injury to a human being that is equivalent to or greater than the severity of injury caused by a transfer of 11 foot-pounds of kinetic energy upon impact from a rigid object. 
So, um, well, let me before I get to that point, let me go through the next two. Uh, small unmanned aircraft will only be eligible to conduct CAT two ops if the person submitting the declaration of compliance can demonstrate that the injury resulting from an impact between the small unmanned aircraft and a person on the ground is less than this severity limit. So, FAA, are you saying you want us to send in videos of? Drone pilots ramming drones into their own heads to prove that they're compliant. <laughs> that part is befuddling, although, I, I don't know, maybe everyone needs to keep a, a crash dummy at home. Hey. For when you get a new drone. We have two, so I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, uh, no, I, I, I think I actually know the answer to that question in a serious form. But moving on, the second, the drone must not contain any exposed rotating parts that could lacerate the human skin. And then third, the uh, small unmanned aircraft must not contain any safety defects. Um, that last one is really open to interpretation because as we talked about in our maintenance section of the operations course, there's a lot that can go wrong over time, specifically batteries and sensors getting dirty. So uh, pilots are going to have a greater responsibility when flying over people. That's As they should. Yeah, I agreed. That said, 11 foot-pounds of torque. So what could a drone pilot send in to demonstrate that the injury resulting from an impact between the drone and a person on the ground is less than this injury severity limit? Uh, I would present Virginia Tech's impact survey from 2017 saying that a phantom was literally just at that, if not less. Um, and in fact, I remember that we did a podcast uh, with with Vic a long time ago in Denver, mm-hmm. and we actually had the documents because uh, you can't. I couldn't even find them online just now uh, that showcase the impact, the torque, mm-hmm. uh, or the kinetic energy. Excuse me. Uh-huh. And if I remember correctly from that show, we're gonna have to cross reference that old show. A phantom does comply with that eleven foot pounds of kinetic energy. Interesting. All so, right. and then what would you submit to the FAA? Well, we've got to get a copy of the uh, Virginia Tech study, the impact study. If it is not available to the public for whatever reason, I know we have a copy of it. I'd have to go find it on one of my backup hard drives of my old laptops, but I know we have a copy of it. And uh, maybe that's something that we could give to our members because that information should be public, frankly. It's a uh, public institution after all. But anyway, I digress. So that said... uh, I believe that the Phantom would uh, would fall under Cat 2, but again, this is under the assumptions that Remote ID continues to go through, right? If it's challenged and there is an issue for whatever reason, it would bump flight over people off a few yeah. years at yeah. least, unless the FAA were to come back and say, uh, because of Remote ID not compl- being compliant, we still want to have... Uh, flight over people operations, and then they add or subtract some sort of some sort of uh, verification process or some something that you've got to do. The the actual sure. vernacular is escaping me. Um, to answer his question, I would say a phantom. I also think a phantom would be great because if you think about um, you know the four K sixty that it shoots and the ability to crop in and still have great footage, I think it's a great drone. Um, that said, a common question we get all the time, Rob, uh, regarding this is, what about the need for a parachute, right? Do the drones need a parachute? And it was something that after a while, I feel like I had talked myself mentally in believing that these drones needed parachutes. But in the FAA's uh, Flights Over People final rule document, it does not talk about parachutes. 
And I actually think that that is a good thing. The reason I think that's a good thing is the last two times that I saw a fly-in at a training, both of them, both students had a para zero parachute on the top of their right. phantom, you know? And I'm sorry, para zero, I'm not trying to call you out, but whoever had the genius idea of putting a parachute over a compass puck, that engineer should be fired. Because Probably has been. I'm sure they might have. Uh, but then again, we also think about um, there's the other parachute, the ballistic parachute uh, from the company up in Alaska. And, you know, I think it's a it's definitely a superior design mm -hmm. doesn't cause flyaways. But the operating characteristics of the drone do change. The, the center of gravity changes. In my humble opinion, I believe that altering the center of gravity for any of these drones causes more safety liability than it reduces. Well, I, it, yeah, it seems as though... At least for a good pilot. Manufacturers could design it in. Yeah. Right? And then so they're adjusting center of gravity issues, etc., based on that design. Mm. Mm. Maybe these companies are trying to get bought out by DJI. But knowing DJI, they'd be like, screw you, and leave and go design it themselves. Yeah, I don't think. Yeah. So, Who knows? Who knows? I, I don't know. It's interesting to think about. But yeah, if it's causing more problems than it's helping, in fact, causing crashes when it's supposed to be helping in the event of a crash, that doesn't seem. But, you know, I have very, uh, very little data on that, I would say. Yeah. And I now want to see if there's laceration data out there. I'm mm -hmm. sure Tom Powers is going to hear this show and be like, I will find it. <laughs> so, <laughs> We're counting on it, Tom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No pressure. <laughs> we'll send the SOW here shortly. Right. <laughs> anyway, um, but I think that answers the question of right now, uh, I don't think that, in my humble opinion, I wouldn't be going out buying drones whether they comply with this rule because of the variables of the rule and the rule actually going into place. Um, most DJI drones that we have talked about technically should be remote ID compliant, assuming remote ID does go through and the challenge is not successful, which part of me hopes the challenge is successful, but that's an opinion. And uh, that said, it is good to know that most of the drones that we do already fly would already be remote ID compliant. And it really makes you wonder why the FAA uh, would, you know, cause such confusion on this particular issue in regards to remote ID which drones work because I mean even when you register a drone now it asks you if the drone is remote ID compliant and with DJI's blog article all the drones that I need to re-register I'm putting yes because with a software update the answer is yes so potentially yeah yeah I mean and so then know. what right we you know? know and so then the FAA would say well Paul then you just put no so I guess the uh, official guidance is to put no uh, but why even have the question on registration when remote ID is not out for another two years? I don't get it. That's so, the question, and we got no answer. The FAA is probably like, why don't you talk about that for once in government agency history, we are ahead of the curve on deploying technology to service a regulatory framework. On that bombshell. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> we believe that videos, images, words, and sounds have the absolute power to inform, inspire, and entertain. We reject indecision, confusion, and vanity, for they work against the community. We are united under the virtues of safety and knowledge, 
We are a training community of learners and teachers who encourage and energize each other to achieve greatness. We are pilots, videographers, photographers, freelancers, business owners, enthusiasts, experts, and apprentices. We are creators. We are the Drone Youth.